Who can name a politician truly interested in improving the care and treatment for patients with Alzheimer's disease? At a loss, or forgive me to use a bad pun, can't remember? Unusual as it seems, former Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich has spent a great deal of time and effort on arguing for improved care and treatment of Alzheimer's disease. You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Today we are discussing the Center for Health Transformation, a think tank founded by Speaker Newt Gingrich. In this segment, we will be focusing on public policy and Alzheimer's disease. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Michael Benson, a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University in Chicago. With me today is Speaker Newt Gingrich. He has served in Congress for 20 years. In addition to his interest in government policy, he has written best-selling historical novels on the Civil War and has just published another novel about World War II. Welcome, Speaker Gingrich. Well, it's great to be with you, and and this is an extraordinarily important topic and I think could become one of the most exciting and interesting areas that we live through in the next 20 years. Why is the Center for Health Transformation interested in Alzheimer's disease? Well, we are very interested in Alzheimer's because it is a pervasive challenge to better health. If, If you look at the scale of the threat of Alzheimer's to people, it is remarkable how big a challenge it is. First of all, I know from personal experience with my sister-in-law who has a mother who has Alzheimer's, dealing with other issues, talking with Nancy Reagan about her experiences with President Reagan. As a very young college teacher, I was put in the oldest men's Sunday school class in First Baptist Church in Carrollton, Georgia. And at that time, I had a chance to deal with people who had had Alzheimer's, somebody who had been totally alive, totally vibrant, and all of a sudden began to lose their memory, began to have other challenges. The fact is that we need to deal with these kind of things in a manner appropriate to the scale of the problem. And let me explain what I mean by that. It's estimated by the federal government that Alzheimer's will be such a large challenge to the baby boom generation that during their retirement years, it'll cost a trillion two hundred billion dollars. Now, that is a staggering amount of money. And yet, while we spend hundreds of billions of dollars already on dealing with Alzheimer's every year, we don't spend one penny on the dollar on research. And yet, from my experience as somebody who has worked with the National Institutes of Health, where I helped double the budget when I was speaker, and who has worked with the National Science Foundation, particularly when when Dr. Rita Caldwell was there, my sense is that we're going to have this extraordinary explosion in science in the next few years and that we are in a position to potentially have enormous breakthroughs in brain science in particular. Our working estimate at the Center for Health Transformation is that there will be four to seven times as much new science in the next 25 years as there was in the last 25 years. I used to say four times as much new science, but I gave a talk to the National Academy of Sciences Working Group on Information and Computation. And when I was done, the chairman of the group came over to me and said, that's too small a number. It's got to be at least seven. So I began looking into it. We have an intern who's been working with us who's a Ph.D. in microbiology from Berkeley. His estimate, looking at the scale of increase in biology, is that in the next 25 years we'll have a 15-fold, 1,500% increase in biological science knowledge over what we have right now. Now, the reason I think, I think this is important, if you're trying to design for the next quarter century, the best health system for America, and the best approaches to solving health problems, and you're going to have four times as much new knowledge, then a working group trying to solve Alzheimer's by 2032 
would be the equivalent of a team in 1880 trying to understand our system today. Now, remember, 1880 is pre-automobile, pre-airplane, pre-long-distance telephone, pre-electric light, pre-motion picture. I mean, how could you explain x-rays or how could you explain all the different things we use today that we take for granted? On the other hand, if it's seven times as much new knowledge, then it is going to be the equivalent of being in 1660 trying to understand today. Clearly hopeless. There's a second factor. At least two-thirds of the new knowledge will come from outside the United States. So, so what will our approach be to scanning Chinese research, scanning Indian research, looking at Japanese research, and integrating it into our database, into our continuous learning system, into our experimentation, into our best practices as rapidly as possible? So we've developed a program led by, by Robert Eggy at the Center for Health Transformation to develop a new roadmap for Alzheimer research designed to accelerate the rate of new knowledge in brain science. And, and my impression is that because of the rise of more sophisticated instrumentation, we're actually learning more about brain science proportionally than any other aspect of health science because we started from such a relatively low base of knowledge and we're now just adding to it every single day. And therefore, I think it's very possible that within a decade, you're going to have a device. It won't be technically a vaccine, but a device which will intervene to block the effect of Alzheimer's. That will be an enormous step in the right direction. And I think it's the kind of thing that we, we want to accelerate. And so we're looking at every step we can take. Uh, he had the best possible public policy when faced with a trillion, $200 billion federal cost, probably a trillion dollars in personal cost, and an enormously painful disease that really hurts families and, and really is just very difficult to deal with. What is it worth to us to find a way to accelerate getting to that state where we have blocked it and it no longer is a threat? And we believe this possible if you apply resources intelligently, if you shorten the cycle time from new discovery somewhere in the world to every American scientist knowing about it, if you shorten the cycle time from discovery in the laboratory to development to approval by the FDA to marketing, we think we can take many, many years off the evolution of Alzheimer's solutions, and we think as a result we can provide for the baby boom generation and their children better quality of life, a much happier quality of life, and a less expensive quality of life. If you have just joined us, you are listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, and my guest is Speaker Newt Gingrich. Today we are discussing the Center on Health Transformations, which he founded. This segment has been focusing on transforming the way Alzheimer's disease is treated in the United States. You made some very interesting comments, but having actually read your white paper, you have a lot more to say about this. Specifically, you were talking about even providing more money and training for caregivers, something as simple as that, and as immediate as that. Well, when, when you look at it, we, we today rely on the family to provide all of the first layers. And, and I have a very, very dear friend who is now in his 80s and, and has been married far more than 50 years. And his wife now has Alzheimer's, and he's determined to keep her at home as long as he can. Fortunately, this person has, has real resources and is very smart. So he's, he's doing fine, and they've been to all, many of the major places in the country. But if you're an average person in that setting, you need to have the best tools, the best approach. We need to have developmental technology. Uh, we need to look at, for example, if you're a woman taking care of a, of a husband with Alzheimer's, how do you help him get in and out of the bed? Meryl Comer does a, just a wonderful video on, on what she lived through when her husband, who was a research scientist at NIH, 
came down with Alzheimer's and what it was like to be the caregiver. And so we think that we should be optimizing with tax credits and with other approaches and with the development of best technologies and, and best wireless capabilities and best home expert systems. How can we maximize the ability of individuals to take care of their loved ones and to do so in a way that doesn't destroy the person who's the caregiver? You had also mentioned something about fast-track approval in the FDA. Tell us a little bit more about this. If we are having the scale of scientific change that I'm describing, you clearly do not have today the kind of people in the FDA system who understand the evolution. Because if you have not been actively directly involved in brain science in the last few years, your knowledge base is obsolete. And so one of the things I really approve of that Dr. Andy von Eschenbach has been pushing is to create a very large internship program both for people to go into the FDA from current modern science and for FDA bureaucrats to go out and spend a year out of the agency looking at the current state of the art and learning where things are. Second, there are a number of cases where the rules that the FDA has, which are perfectly appropriate when you're dealing with physical disabilities, make no sense when you're dealing with mental disabilities. For example, technically the the FDA will only approve certain kinds of studies if they have absolute proof that you have Alzheimer's. Given the current state of technology, you actually can't find out if you have Alzheimer's until we do an autopsy. You could have one of a variety of brain afflictions which which lead to a various forms of senility and other kinds of disabilities, the most common of which is Alzheimer's. But there are all sorts of complexities for a drug company trying to develop an Alzheimer's treatment when in fact the brain does not lend itself to the same precise patterns that were initially involved for other organs of the body that have clear physical manifestations. Those would be examples of the kind of changes. The other is we think that probably there has to be an ongoing process of linking current laboratory knowledge to current regulatory offices so that the regulatory offices are leaning forward and thinking through what modifications they should be making and what they're looking for based on what the scientists are learning on the laboratory. Your statements about the FDA, I think, are completely indisputable. I look at the FDA with a little bit of a broader picture in terms of both antibiotic regulation and cancer therapy regulation. I think you're probably familiar with concerns in both of these areas that the FDA is making it too expensive or taking way too long to approve new drugs in a range of fields. This, of course, your ideas about Alzheimer's are new to me, and so now this is a third area that I think the FDA is having a real problem with. And I would also describe an area where I think we've got to have a fundamental national discussion. The FDA grew up and and was in part shaped by the difference in reaction to thalidomide where the FDA had been very cautious, the Europeans had been very open, and in the one area of pregnant women, thalidomide turned out to have devastating negative consequences. That led to a very deep conservatism on the part of the FDA, with the result that a drug which might be extraordinarily useful but has some indications of not being safe can be taken off the market, even though for 98% of the people using it, it's both perfectly safe and a dramatic improvement in their quality of life. And the Vioxx case recently is is a good example of this, compounded, of course, by the fact that we have a tort litigation system that is a nightmare and that has to be fundamentally overhauled if we're ever going to be successful as a country. And that's a topic I'd someday like to come back and talk about, because we at the center have been deeply involved in tort reform 
and we've seen it in Texas, have just a huge impact in a positive way in improving the lives of doctors and increasing the number of doctors available to serve the people of Texas. So if you take this model, we believe the FDA should explore the notion that there are actually three categories, unsafe, safe, and informed risk. And that the third category, given the scale of modern genetic information, the scale of modern statistical information, you may well decide, for example, if you're a very severe arthritic and there's a drug that comes out that will radically improve the quality of your life. And I know this personally because I have a daughter with rheumatoid arthritis, and I know that breakthroughs in drugs in the last six or eight years have revolutionized the quality of her life. I want to thank Speaker Newt Gingrich, who has been our guest. We have been discussing the healthcare think tank that he founded, the Center for Health Transformation. In this segment, we focus on the center's efforts to transform the way Alzheimer's disease is treated in the United States. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Be safe. Be informed. For comments and questions about this program, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.